to the extent I could be that champion or just share my stories with them and give that encouragement. Uh, that's what I, that's where my heart wants to go. It's really become a passion of mine. You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denanya, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarelawyer.com. That's where you can find water bottles, long and short sleeve t-shirts, and everything you need to support the You Are Lawyer podcast. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopyouarelawyer.com to grab some merchandise. Whitney Harvey, welcome to the You Are Lawyer podcast. Thank you, Kyla. Thanks for having me here. I'm so excited to talk with you. Yes, I'm really excited too, because for one, you're in Arizona. I'm really jealous of the warmth. It definitely is not 80 degrees in Ohio right now. But mm-hmm. since we went on and talked a little bit about where you're from, would you tell the audience a little bit more about your background and where you went to law school? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Midwestern. A girl like you too, <laughs> and moved to Arizona, Phoenix area when I was in high school. And I ended up going to Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law, which is through Arizona State University. Uh, so I graduated 2010 and uh, practice. I've practiced for 12 years now. Um, and for me, I started, I, I feel fortunate because I've, you know, worked in different working environments. And I, I did big law. I did in-house. Um, I did smaller and, and mid-sized firms, so I really got a good breadth of experience, and I got to kind of see what worked <laughs> in certain places and, and what didn't work as well, um, but I learned a great deal, so I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, so in all your experience in those 12 years at the different firms, you know, big law, small law, things like that, was it all the same practice area, or did you move around and switch practice areas as well? I mostly stayed in the same practice area. I found myself still getting kind of pigeonholed into personal injury because that's where I started. I started on the defense side, working for insurance companies. And then I ended up on the plaintiff side, working for you know the people that were injured. And so throughout that, I did a little bit of variation. You know, Sometimes I would do some uh, more transactional type work for cities and towns, kind of guiding and counseling them outside of the personal injury realm, but it, it feels like I just kept getting pulled into personal injury. That was just my my area. So, so I gotta I gotta dig a little bit more there. Did you keep getting pulled in because you were comfortable and you had experience, or did you have a network built up and so people were like, "Oh, Whitney," you know, was it kind of both? Yeah, yeah, it was really both because I I will say I I tried to get out of that area probably six years into practice. Uh, and I went in-house, still working for an insurance company, but I was trying to get more corporate. And I came back into private practice and was doing the city and town work. And then the insurance group wanted me over when they saw my my, my skill set. And I had a, a great network, like you pointed out. I just had done it for so long. So it was that push and pull of, okay, this is going to be a good lucrative way to really they invested in this area, but I really want to expand and go further. So it was kind of a constant conflict. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And um, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, the, the curse of being a hard worker. But honestly, that's a privilege for people to recognize your hard work and say, oh, my God, yeah. let's get her back or let's bring her in. So absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you even pointed that out, because that's honestly not something I've 
really thought about because I was always just thinking like my my personal soul searching journey and I'm trying to do this and not recognizing what others saw in me. And I think that that was a missed opportunity because maybe I still wouldn't have stayed in that area, but I could have found things about what I was doing and really leveraged those things and found what works for me better. But that's okay because you found your way. <laughs> yes. yes. And right now, is it a specific kind of coach? Are you a career coach or are you a confidence coach or what? Career coach. And really my focus is from the lens of authenticity. Uh, just really helping uh, lawyers tap into what's re- what success really looks like for them, what's really true to them and their personal values, and not external measures of success. Um, because that's really what you're going to need to have longevity and passion is doing what you want to do, what works for you, and not modeling someone else and what they're trying to create. Yeah, absolutely. I was recently talking to a friend, and they were like, oh, Kylie, you're so successful. Where? I record podcasts mm-hmm. in my basement. And they were like, well, no, the definition of success is setting a goal and reaching it. Yes. And I was like, so I'm successful because I showed up to lunch. I'm successful because I filled up my cake, my gas tank. And I was like, yes. look at all the success. Exactly. <laughs> all, the success. all the success. Yeah. Exactly. And I told you earlier, too, I was just so seeing what you're creating is super exciting. I love it. And I look at you as that same way. I'm like, she's incredibly successful. So it's it's exciting to see people pivoting and just doing different things that really feeds their soul. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about podcasting is that you get to bounce ideas off of other people and they get to show you a different perspective, right? Because mm-hmm. for me, I'm like, oh, if you can see my to-do list today, it's bananas. But actually, look at how I already checked off eight things. I'm successful. Look at this. Yes. So, Whitney, you said that you help women integrate holistic practices in law. And there's two really big things that I love about that. For one, you're not telling people law's terrible. I left. Why aren't you leaving? Mm -hmm. So why why is that? Why are you comfortable with accepting if you're still in the law, I can just help you create better practices? Yeah, because over the years working with other women lawyers, friends of mine, seeing the heart that they really had for service in the legal field and really wanting to realize these big dreams and being mission-oriented, heart-led, wanting to impact their communities, but not finding a way there and, and feeling like they have to exit. It's heartbreaking because there's so much good work that these women are doing and um, there's people that are in need. They're waiting on us as women lawyers to show up and to to really be there and represent them and their interests. And we have women that are not feeling supported and feeling like they have to exit. So I really felt a call to action around that and wanting to support women so that they can stay in the practice and not leave. Because what I've seen is that they truly do not want to leave. They want to stay there. They just haven't figured out a way to do it in a way that makes them happy and that's sustainable. Um, for them and their lives and their children and their families. To the extent I can help with that, that, that's what I've wanted to do. And I've been working on that for the last year now as a coach. Yeah, that's really cool. And so do they, do women ever ask you like, well, what finally made you leave? What, what one thing was it that you were like, I'm done, I'm out? You know, do they ever want to know or are the sessions solely focused on them kind of like in therapy? I, I do like 
to share parts of my story in coaching, not to uh, tell people what they need to do or how, how they, you know, should be moving, you know, because not everybody's going to want to pursue entrepreneurship. Some people do. I want to stay at a firm. I don't want to make partner. I just want to thrive doing this thing. And so I really, I share parts of my story to just give people uh, permission to be authentic and honest with themselves about what works for them. And so um, I don't, I think most women do not ask me why. I think there's kind of this unspoken, like, okay, especially as women of color, there's this like, okay, we know that there's this fatigue associated with navigating this profession. So I, I think most women who probably practice at least five, six years, they tend to coach more with me in that range, five, five to six years to about 12 to 13 years, um, because they're in that space of they've maybe worked for a couple of employers, they've tried a couple of things, and they're like, okay, this is not, if this is where it's going in the future, I'm not going to make it. So I think they mostly know it when they come to work with me, but I do like to share in my experiences just to help them and give them ideas, because sometimes if you don't know something or even know that that's a possibility, you'll never even strive for it. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you work with women between that specific um, amount of time for practicing, five years or maybe the five to 12, because I like to say that this podcast is for people who've been practicing for five years or less. People that are like, okay, this is nothing like law school. Wait a minute. Wait. Yes. <laughs> or law students who are like, oh, okay, what do I want to do? Right. And um, yes. so I think that 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 amount of time practicing, you probably have a good idea. OK, this, is, this isn't what I kind of want or I'm willing to finally have someone walk me through what else I could find. Exactly. And I, I will say to that point, Kyla, that in mentoring law students and you know junior associates, I think a lot of that, like you said, does creep in early. It's that commitment to investing in yourself that I've seen come a little bit later. And uh, a goal of mine personally is to really get into law school and really alternative avenues to how you can use your degree so that you know a lot of future lawyers and younger lawyers have access to that information and the tools they need as soon as possible. So that is my big term, long-term vision, but you're right, it, it starts in law school. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you get into the schools before me, bring me with you. If I get in, bring... <laughs> because absolutely. I really think, you know, I talked to someone and we joked about it, but I don't know if like bar prep companies pay law schools or like, why are they only pushing them to do one thing? Like, I have no idea. There has to be something we're not seeing right in the room where it happens. Because I'm like, why do you guys, you're so afraid to talk about other careers? And I don't know why. <laughs> And um, I think that if we get the various stakeholders uh, discussing these alternative paths and saying, you know, going the firm route is not bad, but here are some things that can make it a little bit better and make you happier doing it, um, we can really create it. We can really redefine what that looks like. But I think there's a lot of fear around um, telling people different areas if that's not really the major <laughs> stakeholders are not really wanting that messaging. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably it. And I don't know. We'll shake it up. <laughs> we are doing everything we can to change it and to shake it up. And then also, what if somebody decided they wanted to leave the law? Like, do you only place people in other law firms or do you help them go to any other industry? Right. It, so I 
am passionate about keeping, you know, lawyers in the profession. But I also recognize that there are some people in the profession that probably shouldn't be in it, you know, because if you're really, if you really don't enjoy it, if it's really not fulfilling to you, and if it's making you miserable, the last thing we want to do is have you out there serving clients in a way that's just not, you know, not um, ideal or optimal and really, you know, making mistakes and really putting your reputation on the line in a way that you, nobody wants that for themselves. So I think there are a group of people that are probably misaligned in the profession where maybe they, they went into it because their parents wanted them to, or because they thought it was just a lucrative field to go into, or, you know, yeah, my family's business is in the law. So of course I should be a lawyer. And if that is your story, I, I would tell people, or at least advise them to dig deeper and see what is the true reason you want to be a lawyer. And if it's because other people told you that, or, or you just generally want to help people, we can't, we do work through that. We do say, okay, what can we do? How can we pivot? We work with resume writers and advisors to kind of look at what would it take to transition you and still use your educational background. But what are those transferable skills that we can promote and market? Yes, I'm over here shaking my head. I'm like, absolutely, because that's my whole thing. Like, everything you learn in law school will never go away. Like, it's there no matter what you're doing. If you're buying a house, you're like, well, let me read the contract. Like, we just, it's just a part of us. So absolutely. I love that you, yeah, can help people take their skills and move them elsewhere because that's, that's spot one. So Whitney, I got to take a quick break for a commercial. <laughs> If you are watching this on YouTube, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. But I want to let you know that this podcast is also available audio only. If you want to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of that stuff, you can do that as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the interview with Whitney Harvey, a career coach for women specifically, women of color and uh, lawyers. So I worked in a big law firm and I was working as like an analyst operations type role. Every person of color, period. There were a lot of women of colors, but every now and then there'd be a, a man. I was like, oh, hey, you too. I was like the self-appointed orientation person. I was like, let's go to lunch. Yeah. How are you? Let me tell you about the firm. <laughs> Why is it that you are so passionate about working with women of color, specifically in law? I'm really passionate about working with women of color just because of my own experience. Going into big law, I was, I was the only black female at my firm. There was a black male partner that kind of took me under his wing, but um, he was a great mentor, but I think his mentorship was really around how to fit in. Um, kind of how to socialize and integrate into what's already existing. And uh, I found, I had some internal struggles with that because I felt like that was not true to me, you know, to, to you know, never wear jeans to work when everybody else is wearing jeans. I'm, we're mentoring lawyers and women of color into assimilating, really, into these firms and to kind of, you know, downplay sex of ourselves and our backgrounds and even our appearance. I know I cut off my hair when I took the bar exam so that I would fit in and be taken seriously. And so I think that a lot of women of color can get ignored because they are women. So people see them as women first, but there's 
different intersections or different overlapping that can compound the experiences of women, women of color attorneys. And so I, you know, I see women of color getting looped in with all women and it's just kind of hard because there is a unique experience there of trying to culturally assimilate into this profession. So that's why I am really passionate about women of color. I think a lot of times they get uh, ignored or their voice gets um, unheard because they're not that classic. I guess in a workplace, um, when people think of workplace, even discrimination, they think of maybe, a, and they don't think about Black women's experiences with. So I really don't want the, the voice of women of color to, to not be heard. It's a unique experience. And, and that's why to the extent I could be that champion or just share my stories with them and give that encouragement. Uh, that's what I, that's where my heart wants to go because I just feel like it's so, and, um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's really become a passion of mine. Yes. I love that. I'm, <laughs> I'm over here wanting to do like the church wave. Like, yes, same, same. I was like, is this too much? Was, <laughs> when I was working in the firm, Towards the end, when I was about to leave, I was actually managing a department. And so I had paralegals that were working for me, and we were doing work for five of the seven offices that our law firm had. I would get called into these meetings, and they're like, we need you to talk to so-and-so about their appearance. We need you to talk about this. Mm -hmm. There was nothing wrong with their appearance. Now, when I wear a blouse, I'm not going to look the same as someone who has a different body shape than me in the blouse. But right. I can't tell them you can't wear, that shirt is inappropriate for the office. So we would have these conversations and I would have to sit on it and then mm -hmm. find an either nice way to either mention it to them. But 75% of the time, I would go back to the person who brought it up to me and say, I, I cannot have that conversation. If you would like to, I would, I'll be in the room with you. Yeah. Right. Because it's yeah. not fair. I just couldn't. I was like, yeah. it's already so hard to be the only, the meatball and the bowl of rice. And then, and then you got to tell me that I should not walk around confidently in my blouse because it's drawing attention. Why yeah. am I penalized for that? Like, I, anyway. Good for you. No, I good understand. for you. I think that's a form of advocacy because you are, I was advocating for people that worked in my department and making sure that they weren't, you know, being singled out because yes, women of color, we do get attention in the office, but I would honestly say it's because there are so few of us. It's yeah. like, oh, who's that? Yeah, because I don't look like everyone else, right? There is, you know, and I really enjoyed my office. I would show up with my natural hair. I would show up with my different things, but it took a while for me to get there. Like, I did start wearing the shirts and the suits and all the stuff, and then I was like, well, if it's casual Friday for them, I want to be casual too. Yeah. Um, so I, I understand there are multiple levels, or like you said, the intersections of being a mm -hmm. woman and being a woman of color. For sure. For sure. Even like you said about hair, me wearing this style, I probably wore this style, started wearing this on the tail end of practicing. It took me over a decade to really start getting into more, you know, hairstyles that were not traditional. And I found that people loved it. You know what I mean? Honestly, I always thought that there would be some pushback and maybe there would have been a decade ago, but I've gotten a lot of love around my hairstyles in the workplace, which was which was surprising and it was actually refreshing too. Yeah, I don't know where I don't know where that comes from. I'm like, we could write a whole article about why women do that. And it's not that we're trying to hide, we're just trying to 
I think assimilate was the right word. We're just trying to yeah. like, I just want to come in and do my job. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, did you work harder when you were free, when you were able to like express yourself and just be comfortable in the office or? Yeah, I definitely, I was more passionate and engaged in my work. The more I could unpeel the layers, take off some of the masks and really just start being myself. I 100% more productive. It wasn't the strain of, I can't really be myself. That really, there really is a stress and a fatigue that wears us out um, on top of the law being, you know, stressful. Um, And so, yeah, I found for me, I was, my well-being improved when I could really show up in a way that was true to me. I think that's very valuable. And what I really like is the fact that you are now coaching others. And so you'll be able to help them be more confident and stand out in who they are. So yeah, I think that's really important. Um, so I keep looking down. I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> so if anyone's like, what is she looking at? Um, I'm really analog. I could not have my phone to record. So Whitney, I also want to touch on the fact that you were a highly recognized lawyer, right? You were not barely making it. Couldn't pay your bills. Okay, I'm a pivot. <laughs> yeah, you were recognized by super lawyers and um, a number of different organizations. So I think that's really important because I'm sure the decision to step away from the law was not easy. So could you give us a little bit more details about that? Yes, thank you for bringing that up because that is something I probably I don't lead with that, but that is important to share. Yes, I. It wasn't that I couldn't couldn't keep going. I, you know, by all accounts. Uh, the last firm I was at, they wanted me to stay. And I, I loved working for them. But it was difficult because financially, you know, I was making good money. Um, I had all of this recognition. A lot of my friends were lawyers. So, you know, we could, we're kind of in this together. And so um, it was hard to step away and do something different when that's all I've been working towards since really probably high school. I've been working towards this legal career. And so there is a little bit of an identity crisis that you have because your lawyer identity can take up such a big space of who you are. And that's why I like to coach into the authenticity piece of our identity is so wrapped into this profession. And when we do make a change or things go differently in that profession, we can feel lost and feel like, where do we, do we really make the right decision? It was not something I did overnight. I contemplated this for a while. I I think the pandemic gave me space to really think creatively. There was a lot of downtime where I could sit and be honest about what do I want the next 10 years of my life to look like? And just taking one action step and just kind of trusting the universe and seeing and like, okay, I wanted to go back to school and pursue my PhD. And I thought, I don't know, it'd have to work out. I'm litigating. I can't do both. And let me just call, let me reach out and see what the recruiter says. It's like, okay, all the signs are pushing me into this next phase. So it wasn't an overnight thing. It was over time, but then I recognized this is the moment and I stepped into that momentum. And ever since everything, the next step has been in alignment for me because I've just took that one initial step. So it can be scary, but it's, it's like you got to give yourself that time and space and really just think about it and then go for it if you're feeling that nudge. Yeah. And I mean, life is scary. 
<laughs> deciding to go to law school is scary. Practicing yeah. is scary. And you were a litigator, so I'm sure you faced a lot of fears. So you yeah. had that practice of, you know, this is tough, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I love that you went on and took the leap. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I have, <clears throat> I thought I had two more questions, but I actually have three. So first one is, do you only work with clients that are in Arizona or do you work with clients nationwide? I work with clients nationwide. A lot of my one-on-one -on -one coaching can be done virtually through Zoom. Like I said, usually 60 minutes is what I would say for each session. Um, and then uh, even working with firms, doing more, you know, training sessions, workshops, uh, lunch and learns, enrichment sessions for their, their employees. That can be done virtually, but I prefer to go in person for that. It just seems to work better. And I, I think it can, we usually can find a way to do it that uh, is pretty efficient for the organization and for the lawyer that wants to be coached. Yeah, I think that's really important that you have the one-on-one -on -one coaching and then you also work with organizations. It's pretty yeah. cool. Um, so this one, I, I got a bunch of notes here. <laughs> I'll probably <laughs> read it and then come back with the actual question. Um, you describe yourself as a lifelong learner. I never described myself that way, but I think that was a big part of my frustration when I did not pass the bar exam, when I was lost. And I was like, I have a professional doctorate degree. I'm the expert. How is there something I don't know? Yeah. When did you realize that you were a lifelong learner? I don't think I realized I was a lifelong learner until I got out of law school and still wanted to take courses and still wanted to go back into, into school. And I'm thinking everybody I would talk to, like, what's wrong with you? I signed up for a world religions course at the community college. I probably have been litigating about four years at that point. So I would leave for a Wednesday, three hour, you know, uh, class each week. Uh, because I just wanted, it was a class I always wanted to take that I didn't get to take in college. And so when I would share that with colleagues, they just thought, what is wrong with this girl? We, we're done with school. Why, are you, why did you get back there? And I recognized that it was just, there's always been this natural curiosity that I did have as a, as a child. My mom thought I was going to be an engineer, actually, because I just wanted to know how things worked and why is that happening? And what makes the light come on when you switch? And she's like, why, who cares? <laughs> But um, but for me, I personally recognized it because I was always wanting to seek out new things. I wanted to take salsa dance lessons. And, you know, I really, I always tried different things and um, and I would get bored. I would get bored just going to work and trying to work, but just doing litigation. I wanted to do more things beyond the law that really made me more well-rounded. So I love that. I love that you were curious even when you were younger. Um, I am... I've always been a reader, but I never thought of that as being curious or even enjoying learning. But now I'm definitely leaning into it. Like, yes. I read three to four books a week and I always have, but I was just always like, I just like books. And mm -hmm. so I'm actually like, no, you enjoy learning. You enjoy new concepts. You enjoy all of it. So that's a lot of reading. I'm like, that's good for you. <laughs> I wish Thank I could you. read that much. That's awesome. So I change, I switch it up. Like, you know how you'll be watching TV and then you're like, okay, I'm done with this program. You go to something else. That's mm -hmm. me. I'll read 15 minutes of a historical fiction book and then I'll pick up a memoir and then I'll pick up something for fun that you just burn through because it's like cute and light. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I love me too. <laughs> me too. I think I start a lot of books. I start a lot of books and then I need to come back to them. 
the finish. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any advice for a young lawyer who's been practicing five years or less or a law student about being a lawyer and what you can do with your law degree? We're in an interesting profession coming out of the pandemic. There's so many changes happening and there's a lot of attorneys and, and legal organizations that are wanting to do things different. And so attorneys that are five years or less or have five years or less of experience and even law students, you really are in a unique position that a lot of other lawyers are not in where you can really carve out what works for you. And so I would suggest talking to uh, different lawyers in different, not only in different organizations that have, are using their degree in different ways. Starting with this podcast is a great idea because it gives you an idea of what you can do um, beyond, you know, strictly uh, practicing. So I would just say lean into that creativity. Uh, don't be afraid to go out on your own. If you, if you know, if you, if you know that you have an entrepreneurial spirit, you don't necessarily need to wait five, 10 years to start your own practice. I have friends that started right out of law school. So really lean into that. There's a lot of resources out there. There's a pipeline for law students and new lawyers that you're seeing in a lot of the social media communities so that there's an accelerated journey for lawyers. They don't have to try, you know, traditional routes that might not work for them. They can start from day one in a non-traditional or unconventional lawyer yeah i think that's really powerful and if i can piggyback on that you can start looking without turning over your whole life right you don't have to say mm. that's it i'm done i'm not walking for graduation i'm not going <laughs> to work tomorrow <laughs> yes right whitney said she started looking into courses she started looking into her phd i started this podcast while i was still working full-time you can start things and then they can, you can give them time and the space to kind of evolve or to fizzle out. Like you can, you can start to experiment right now without being 200% committed. Absolutely. I have another lawyer that I work uh, with as well, has a yoga practice that she's really trying to bring to other lawyers and she's working full time for a firm, but her little side hustle is this yoga practice and this yoga business and who knows where we'll go, but it's a passion of hers. Again, it has to be something you're interested in. And it's a passion of hers. And it's, it's really interesting to see. So like you said, you can start, you, you can start with a side hustle. It doesn't have to be I'm doing this full out right now. Well, I had to say that I was I was kind of saying it for myself. <laughs> because Lawyers are both risk adverse. But then when our when our eye is set, it's like a dog with a bone. You can't tell us to not do something. So, um, exactly. Which is a good thing, right? We get committed yeah. to our clients and our, our practice as well, but also, like, it can be hard for us to, to change. So, yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for spending your morning with me. It's afternoon for me, but morning for you. Everyone, go and check out the website, theselfcoachlawyer.com, as well as the Instagram page as well. Okay, so thank you, Whitney Harvey, and I will talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.